Welcome everyone to Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I am your host G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and also Impact Wrestling. And without further ado, let's start on with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw opens up with Kevin Owens and Big E in the backstage and they're sitting on a production crate. Kevin Owens is still trying to convince Big E that he didn't see and he didn't do what Big E is claiming that Kevin Owens did last week, which was Kevin Owens took advantage of Big E getting hit in the head by Seth Rollins. Kevin Owens is still trying to convince Big E. Big E is not trying to hear it. He said, personally, to be honest with you, I don't care. I got a match tonight to really worry about. So he walks away from Kevin Owens. As soon as we get done with that, we go to the in-ring, and now it's time for Seth Rollins' in-ring promo. Seth Rollins comes out in a red and blue like outfit, and I know his attire, and I know his gimmick is called the Drip God, and I know it's supposed to be funny and all that, but that outfit was completely atrocious, and I don't know how to dress well myself, for further clarification, but I know I at least could put on, pull off a better looking uh, outfit than what Seth did this Monday night. Anyway, Seth talks about um, who Kevin Owens really is. Who is the real Kevin Owens? Is he a prize fighter? that puts his body on the line and fights for the WWE Universe, or is he a snake, a gutless coward, and so many other unflattering names? Seth talks about knowing Kevin Owens for a long time, and he says the one thing that you should know about Kevin Owens more than anything else is that Kevin Owens is a backstabber. Seth then mentions that Kevin Owens can't be trusted, and he said, you don't believe me? Look at his track record. He says, ask Sami Zayn. Ask the New Day. And when he mentions the New Day, it was whenever Biggie was injured, and this was Kofi Kingston's title run in 2019, and they needed a third man, Kevin Owens came in, and this was just nothing but Kevin Owens' plot to get a WWE Championship against Big e, uh, Kofi Kingston at the time. So, Kev, uh, Seth Rollins lays out the foundation, lays out the whole thing for us to really understand that Kevin Owens is a liar, and he is a snake, and he shouldn't be trusted, and that he is a liar. Seth Rollins says that when he beats up Kevin Owens tonight, he'll be the biggest loser in the world. Kevin Owens then comes out and he has enough of Seth Rollins and he tries to fight Seth. He was able to get a couple licks in on Seth, but Seth runs out of the ring and starts running up the ramp and running backstage. So this leaves a Kevin frustrated Kevin Owens just standing right there. And this has our match set up for the main event, Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens later in the night. Now we go to the gorilla position and there's RK Bro. Riddle is hyped up to be teaming up with the Street Profits, and he's trying to get Randy hyped up for it. But Randy uh, straight up berate Riddle for trying to help the Street Profits last week, and he got his butt kicked by Omos. Randy tells Riddle that he shouldn't be trying to pick a fight with a giant. We're the Raw Tag Team Champions. We always have a target on our back. If you want to keep these championships, you have to listen to me. Riddle tries to explain that he was only trying to help out the Street Profits, but Randy cuts him off and says, I don't care about the Street Profits. Riddle tells Randy that he was also trying to tell Orton that the Street Profits are standing right behind you. Riddle asks the Street Profits, did they hear what Randy said? Randy stepped in and said, I meant every word of what I said. He then gives a warning to all three of them. If you have a vendetta against the big man, you guys are going to have to go... At that on your own. I'm not helping on that. So now we are set for our eight-man tag team match that's happening next with RK Bro in the Street Profits going against AJ Styles, Omos, and the Dirty Dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Now this eight-man tag team match happens, and it, it 
took about a good 30 minutes of the product. So Raw opened up with a nice, straight, solid 30-minute match, and it was great. I mean, you can't have... An, you With the caliber of athletes like an AJ Styles, a Dolph Ziggler, a Randy Orton, and a Riddle, and also with a solid, solidified tag team like uh, the Street Profits, and also, I don't want to discredit Robert Roode because he's good as well. And Omaz is good for his part. With all eight of these men, we all knew it was going to be a good match. So for them to get 30 minutes of time, I was happy with it. Uh, Dolph and Robert Roode and AJ Styles and Omaz win the match by pinfall. Uh, at the end of the match, Omaz was dominating. He hits a double-handed choke slam on Riddle. And he's about to pin Riddle, but AJ asks for the tag. Omaz is about to tag AJ in, but Dolph Ziggler tags himself in. And you get AJ and Omaz asking Dolph, what is he doing? Dolph tells that AJ has been doing that all night, pulling that stunt. And AJ was. AJ was tagging Dolph instead of tagging in Robert Rue. Remember, Robert wanted to be tagged in. So that kind of caused some friction on that team. So then you get AJ pulled from the apron by Robert Rue at this time. And now you got AJ and Robert just talking to one another, like just really mouthing off. And Robert Rue ends up shoving AJ like away onto the floor. Omos then grabs uh, Robert from the back of his head and throws him into the barricade. So now you got Dolph just looking at all this, and you see Riddle's body still on the ground. He goes over to Riddle's body, pins him, and that's how they win the match. However, after the match, Dolph Ziggler gets his hands raised, and Randy Orton's literally right behind him. Randy turns Dolph around and nails him with an RKO, and Randy leaves the ring and grabs Riddle with him and tells him that he has to start listening to him, and Riddle's just telling Randy, I know. I know. So we might see, like, Randy. Randy is more showing off a big brother to Riddle. Riddle has really rubbed off on Randy, not in the scooter type way, but, like, Randy is becoming comfortable being around Riddle, and he really wants to, like, put Riddle underneath his wing. So we'll see how that more progresses. I want to know who they're going to drop the Raw Tag Team titles to, more personally, because Raw don't have that many tag teams. The only tag teams they got are literally... The Dirty Dogs, uh, Street Profits, uh, Alpha Academy. Uh, no, the Viking Rangers are on SmackDown. So, yeah, I believe those, I mean, it's only a short list of tag teams without going back to uh, AJ Styles and Omos. So, I'm just really interested in who they're going to drop the belts to, but that comes in at a way, way later time. After this, we go to the gorilla positions, and Randy Orton and Dominic Mysterio are at the gorilla position, and Kevin Owens walks up to him. Kevin Owens tells Ray that, hey, listen, I hope you believe what I've been telling Big E and what I've been telling everybody all night, because there's a few people in this company, a few people in this world that I actually have their respect for, that I actually care about what they have to say, and you're one of them. Randy, not Randy, but Ray tells Kevin Owens that his mind's kind of busy at this moment because he's trying to figure out what Adam Pierce wants with him and his son, because Adam Pierce is supposed to be calling the Mysterios out to the ring. And Kevin Owens then tries to plead his case again to Ray, and Ray music hits, and he, Ray tells Kevin that, you know what, I believe you, I believe you, all right? So then you get Ray Mysterio and Dominic going out to the ring as Adam Pierce is just standing right in the middle of the ring. Once the Mysterios get inside the ring, Adam Pierce starts talking about the history of Survivor Series, and he talks about how this year, as well as last year, is going to be about brand supremacy, Raw versus SmackDown. And when you look at the men's Raw Survivor Series team, it's going to be Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Rey Mysterio, and Dominic Mysterio going against a team of Drew McIntyre, Happy Corbin, Jeff Hardy, 
Xavier Woods, King Woods, and Sami Zayn. Adam Pearce said he made a huge mistake whenever the team of Raw was announced on social media this weekend. And he talks about how every member on Raw are a former Raw champion, except for Dominic Mysterio. Pierce tells Dominic that, hey, listen, you're going to be a great talent in the future, but right now you're not a former world champion. And I feel that you, I feel that Raw needs to be beefed up because we want Raw to win this year again. So he tells Dominic, listen, you're still part of the team unless you lose to this man. And Adam Pierce leaves out of the ring, and now it's built up for anticipation of who the, this guy is that Dominic's basically going to have to go against to keep his spot. And it turns out the man that Dominic has to beat is the almighty Bobby Lashley. And Bobby Lashley comes back, and this time he's not alone. He comes back with MVP. So we get Bobby Lashley going against Dominic Mysterio, and Bobby Lashley beats Dominic straight up. Just I mean, Bobby beats Dominic, and this is not even for no contest. This was a walk in the park for Bobby. At one point, Bobby had Dominic in the hurt lock. And Dominic was about to tap out, but Bobby let go of the hurt lock just so we could beat him on Dominic some more. But in the end, Bobby still wins the match by submission, and he does this by locking in the hurt lock again on Dominic Mysterio. And this time, Dominic was allowed to tap out by Bobby. So Bobby ends up taking the place of Dominic Mysterio on the men's Survivor Series tag team match. After this, we go to backstage, and we got Alpha Academy just standing there, Chad Gables looking at his notepad. And you get Seth Rollins walking up on the Alpha Academy. Seth asks them, what do they think about the whole Kevin Owens situation? Chad Gable agrees that Kevin Owens is an enormous liar. And Chad states that Big E doesn't have what it takes to be the face of Raw. Gable tells Seth to watch what he's about to do to Big E right now in their match. That's about to happen next. So now we get WWE Champion Big E going against Chad Gable with Otis in his corner. And... Big E wins the match by pinfall, but Big E took a lot of damage in his match by Chad Gable. Chad Gable was giving Big E the business. I mean, 70% of this match belonged to Chad Gable. Big E had the beginning parts of it, but the middle towards the end was nothing but Chad Gable. Big E won the match by pinfall, and he won it by hitting the big ending on uh, Chad Gable. But if you watch this match, you'll know that this is basically WWE's way of trying to let Chad Gable basically show off what he can do to whoever he needs to prove that he's a good wrestler to whoever he has to prove to in the backstage area. Because again, this match just basically sets Chad Gable apart from certain people and say, hey, showcase Chad Gable. This is what he can do if you give him the ball. And this match basically set the tone for Chad Gable. And also, after the, this match was done with, Otis got in the ring with Big E. And you got a stare down between these two big men. And now you have Big E just staring at Otis and Otis just staring at Big E. And the referee had to get in between these two big mountain of men. So now we know that Big E is going to more than likely go against Otis somewhere down the line. And especially with the way Otis has been packaged up as a big unstoppable like monster. This is going to be a good match between two big dudes. Um, we go backstage now. Kevin Owens is still on the whole recruitment trail. And Kevin Owens this time is talking to R-Truth. Kevin Owens asks R-Truth, does he believe in what he's been saying? And Truth tells Kevin Owens that he believes him. And then Truth starts also saying that he believes in that the earth is flat. He believes in, just starts rambling off about different things that he believes in. 
And Kevin Owens just walks away because he knows this is basically a dead end for him. Now we go to the women's locker room and airs Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville. They introduced the Raw women's team for Survivor Series. And on that team, it consists of Bianca Belair, Queen Selena, Liv Morgan, Carmella, and Rhea Ripley. Deville tells all five of these women that they will compete in a fatal five-way match later tonight to determine the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. Dewdrop interjects herself and asks why she isn't on the team because she mentioned how many wins she's been racking up. And she mentioned how last week Bianca Belair had a shot at the Raw Women's Championship, but she crashed and burned in that match. Bianca then interjects herself and says, who is Dewdrop thinks she's talking to? Dewdrop says, I'm talking to you. So now you get the spitter spatter between Dewdrop and Bianca Belair. Dana Brooke interjects herself and she mentions how she's been passed over more than any of these women in the locker room. And she's talked about how she's paid all her dues. So now she wants to be on the Raw women's uh, team. Nikki A.S.H. says that if anybody should be on the team, it should be her because she is a former Raw women's champion. And she's taking a shot at Quiv, Queen Selena. Liv Morgan, and Carmella, all three of these women are not former Raw Women's Champion. Carmella chimes in and says, yeah, you were at the top of the mountain, but you have fallen ever since then. And Carmella and Queen Selena are laughing at this, and then Rhea Ripley interjects herself and sticks up for her tag team partner, Nikki. And now you have a room full of women just arguing amongst themselves, and you get Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville basically just cut all that and says, hey, our decision is final, and that's just what it is. Now we go to the trainer's room, and we got Dominic Mysterio and Rey Mysterio in there. And Dominic's being looked at, and then an interviewer walks in on Ray and asks for an update on Dominic. And Dominic is still holding his head, and he has an ice pack on him. Ray looks at the interviewer and tells him that that match against Bobby Lashley was unnecessary. Dominic's going to be okay, but if Adam Pearce wanted to have Bobby Lashley on the team, only thing he had to do was just pull my son off the team instead of having him going against somebody like Lashley. He talks about how everybody's questioning Kevin Owens' character. We should be questioning Adam Pierce's character for that. Ray mentions how he's going to get revenge on Lashley for putting his hands on his boy. So we're going to see how basically uh, Ray and Lashley coexist for their Survivor Series match. After this, we go to in-ring talent. Well, in-ring matchup between Reggie and Drake Maverick for the 24-7 championship. Drake Maverick wins the match thanks to distractions. R-Truth comes down with a referee when this match was happening in the middle of the match. But Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin happen to attack him from behind. This allows Drake Maverick to catch Reggie off guard and get him with a roll-up to win the match. After the match, we see a slew of people come out, and now we're starting to see wins and pinfalls happening, and basically we get to crown multiple 24-7 uh, champions during this time. We first get Akira Tozawa becoming 24-7 champion. Then Corey Graves comes behind him and roll him up, and then Corey Graves becomes 24-7 champion. Then Byron Saxton comes behind Corey Graves and rolls him up and becomes 24-7 champion. And then Drake Maverick comes right behind Byron Saxton, rolls him up, 24-7 champion. Then finally Reggie beats Drake Maverick back in the ring, to become the 24-7 champion, he does some acrobatics to jump out of the ring, and he is walking out of the arena and walking out of Monday Night Raw, still 24-7 champion. After this match, we now get our fatal five-way between Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Queen Selena, Carmella, and Rhea Ripley to become 
to see who's going to become the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. During the match, well, before the match even starts, Becky Lynch comes out because she's on commentary for this entirety of this match. But before the match begins, Bianca is starting to shout at Becky, and Carmella sees this opportunity and attacks Bianca from behind and sends her to the outside of the ring. Once she's on the outside of the ring, then all the women get out of the ring and start fighting on the outside of the ring before the match begins. And when the match actually starts, we get a good five women, uh, fatal five way match between all these women. This takes up a good chunk of time too. Raw actually gave up a nice quality of their uh, selection this week for nice, good, long quality matches. And this fatal five way wasn't one to sleep on. It actually had some good competition and good uh, women's wrestling in it. In the end, Liv Morgan wins the match by pinfall, and this is how it happens. When Bianca hits the KOD on Queen Selena, and she's about to cover, and she's covering her for the win, and as the referee's counting two, and he's about to hit three, Dewdrop comes out and pulls Bianca Belair out of the ring and throws her into the ring post. Then Carmella comes into the ring and tries to cover Selena, and as the referee's counting the one, two, Liv Morgan gets in and hits a crucifix pin on Carmella to basically win the match. So now we get Liv Morgan as the number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship. She goes over to Becky, who is now standing on the commentary table. Liv Morgan stands on the commentary table right next to Becky, and they have a stare off, and they're staring at each other dead in the eyes until Bianca, not Bianca, but Becky Lynch gets off of the commentary table and walks away. So there seems that they finally want to push Liv Morgan to do something. Again, either you piss or you get off the pot. We got to do something with Liv Morgan. We got to give her something to make her big time. Now, either we're going to give her a nice good match with uh, Becky Lynch or something, or either she's going to do the unthinkable and actually win the Raw Women's Championship because Becky hasn't been beaten. And Becky mentioned that she hasn't been beaten since technically WrestleMania 35. So, well, technically, she actually did get beat by uh, Charlotte at Money in the Bank, and that's how she lost to... SmackDown Women's Championship, but I digress. Uh, 2019, but I digress still. Becky hasn't lost a match in a long time, so if Liv Morgan does actually beat Becky Lynch, it will be a nice little stat on Liv Morgan, but we'll have to see whenever they actually have their match. We go backstage, and Big E is walking backstage, and Seth goes up right beside Big E, and he tries to see where Big E head is at. Seth says, I was at ringside for your match, and yeah, I hit you in the head, but you know who I am, you know the devil, you should trust the devil that you know instead of the devil that you don't know, and which, in this instance, it kind of doesn't work in that way, because Big E knows Kevin Owens, he knows that Kevin Owens is a backstabber, he knows all these things, so he either gotta go with one devil or the other, that's basically what this is, Big E mentions that he doesn't trust either Rollins or Kevin Owens, but he does say that he will be at ringside for their match, and that's where Big E's walking to right now. Big E walks out to the commentary table, and he's there to observe the main event that's about to happen. But before any of the main event match even begins, Austin Theory comes out, and he takes a selfie with each member of the uh, Raw commentary team, and he tries to take a picture with Big E, but Big E slaps the phone out of Austin Theory's hands, and Theory looks at E and asks him, why'd you do that? And as Austin Theory picks up his phone, he looks at Big E one more time. As he walks away, he says, that's a nice championship that you have right there. 
So this is setting up again another match for Big E to have probably next week on Monday Night Raw for the last like uh episode of Raw until Survivor Series where Big E probably go against Austin Theory next week. But that's where it's all setting up. Anyway, after this happens, Seth Rollins comes down to the ring and now he has a mic in his hands and he mentioned that he has to come clean and he mentions to Big E and everybody in attendance that him and Kevin Owens came up with a plan to attack Big E last week. He mentions that, you know what, hey, I want to be truthful in my deceit. Everybody knows me. I at least want to, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to tell you to your face and I have to feel clean. I have to come clean about what I, what me and Kevin have done. And I just want you to know, Big E, that me and Kevin Owens did come up with that plan to attack you last week. Kevin Owens comes down and he storms to the ring furious because now you have several trying to slander uh, the name of Kevin Owens. And Kevin Owens is not having that. And he tries to attack Rollins again. But this time Rollins was able to escape the ring and enter into the crowd. But this is now leading into the main event between Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. And the match begins and they had a good match. Again, this was another solid 20 a minute match between these two, and it was a good match until it got to the ending, um, where they're both fighting on the outside of the ring, and the referee's counting to eight. He's at the ch- number eight, and you know where I'm going with this. They're fighting around the commentary t- table, and Big E's right there, and Seth Rollins is able to run back into the ring, but Kevin Owens is trying to run back into the ring, and somehow he bumps into Big E. He falls down, and he tries to get back up, but the referee counts to ten, and he gives the match up. So Seth wins the match by ring out. Thanks to technically by Big E. Because Big E was technically standing in a position. But Kevin Owens bumped into Big E. So once the match gets done. Seth Rollins runs out of the ring. And now you get um, just Kevin Owens just being furious. And he just off rips just attacks Big E. I mean he puts the fist to Big E. He puts the boost to Big E. He throws Big E into the steel steps. He uh, beats him up some more on the outside of the ring. And he even at one point, he kicks Big E in the face. And then he just power bombs Big E right on the ring apron. And you have him just yelling out of fear, frustration. Because Kevin Owens has been trying all night to try to prove to everybody, hey, I'm not this bad guy. I'm not this evil person. But in the end, your true intentions did show up. Now, it could be out of frustration that you did that, but your true self did come out. You are an evil guy. And that's how Raw ends with Kevin Owens just being frustrated that he lost the match by ring out. And the true Kevin Owens did come out. The snake uh, guy that Seth Rollins was preaching about all night. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up with a six-woman tag team match between the NXT women and the NXT women tag team champions, Toxic Attraction, going against Io Shirai, Casey Catanzaro, and Kaden Carter. Toxic Attraction wins the match by pinfall when Gigi grabs Kaden from the top turnbuckle and throws her off. And then Gigi then grabs her and hits her with her finisher, the unhinged, well, uncaged, and then... Pinzer. This was a nice, solid uh, six-woman uh, tag team match. Again, WWE is able to do good women's wrestling whenever they want to do it. They still had a good women's match on Raw. They had a good women's match here. And it doesn't stop because later in NXT, they will have another women's match that was still another great, solid match. 
But again, WWE is able to put on good solid matches when they want to. Just want to throw it out there. After this, we get a backstage interview with Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne is asked about the comments that Tony D'Angelo said last week. And Pete uh, says that if Tony wants to have a chat with him, he knows where to find him. And as soon as Pete says this, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams walks up on Pete. And Trick mentions how Pete was talking reckless on Twitter in response to what Carmelo said last week on Twitter and also in the ring. Trick calls mom, uh, Pete's mom and dad like bootlickers and everything else. He calls them wild names. And he just insults Pete Dunn as well. But Pete Dunn doesn't understand what Trick is saying. And he just asks him, what did you say? So Mello tells Pete that he doesn't care what Pete thinks and that he is the A champion of NXT. And he meant everything he said last week. Pete says that he will break Mello's fingers. And now you have Mello really ready to test that out. So now you got Mello ready to fight Pete. And it gets set up for later in the night in the main event of NXT. Carmelo Hayes going against Pete Dunne. Um, now we get back to the ringside area, and Toxic Attraction is still celebrating that they won their uh, match at the entranceway. But as soon as they're celebrating, Kaylee Ray walks through, and now she's making her way to her entrance for her match next. And she stares at Mandy Rose for a second, and then walks inside the ring, and now she's ready and getting herself together. And she goes against Saray, and Kaylee Ray wins the match by pinfall, and she was able to do that when she hit the KLR bomb on the announce table and then threw Saray back into the ring and hit another KLR bomb for the win, which is basically a gory uh, bomb special. Um, Again, another solid women's match. Don't uh, crap, don't sleep on the women's division in NXT, even though, we, even though I've said before that I think they're kind of dwindling the people that they do got, they're able to hold it up until they get more women to really like solidify that new crop of NXT women's uh, division. And I can't wait for that new crop to be formulated and see what they actually can do. After this, we get a video of MSK playing, and they go to a location where they were supposed to meet the Shaman of MSK. However, there was a sign posted up on the Shaman's former residence, and it says that he has moved... And he has his new location and address on the door. So MSK said that they're going to fly to that location. And we're going to have to see next week what more happens with MSK and their hijinks to try to find their shaman. We now get a backstage interview from Joe Gacy. And Joe Gacy talks about how Boa is going through some changes and know that people have to make changes. And he says that Boa shouldn't have to hide his true self. And states that no one should be have to hide who they truly are. He talks about how Harlan shouldn't feel uncomfortable having to live in his own skin. And then he looks directly into the camera and he tells Harlan to reach out and touch the screen and touch Gacy's hands. And he's dedicating his match with Boa to Harlan. So that's where we get to now where Joe Gacy goes against Boa. Joe Gacy wins the match by disqualification. And this happened when Boa was beating up on Gacy. And this happened. They did another Finn Balor thing. They did some lighting effects and they start playing some special like music. And then Boa just like turns into this monster and he grips Gacy by the throat with the tongue and death grip. And he just has Gacy like standing right on the ropes. And the referee is trying to tell Boa to break up the submission, but Boa's not letting go. And the referee gives him to the count of five. They do that. Boa doesn't let go. The referee calls for the bell. The music stops playing and the special lighting effects stop and Boa snaps back into himself and then he walks out of the ring. 
So Gacy wins the match technically by disqualification because Bo didn't let go. This was a yeah match to me. I wish they would have just not had Bo going against Gacy if that's what we're going to do because I sense that we're going to have Harlan beat up on Boa. But if that's where they want to go, it hey, I'll see where this takes us. After this, we get footage of Diamond Mine and they're in their gym, and then you get like a projector playing of Hikimanjaro and Kashida cosplaying as the Creed brothers last week, and Malcolm Bivens tells the coach to cut that footage. And he says that Hikimanjaro and Kashida want to cosplay as these Olympic style wrestlers here. But he tells that the Creed brothers are going to hurt Kashida and Juro the same way that Roderick Strong hurt Odyssey Jones. And it makes it seem like Odyssey owed Roderick money, which he probably did in Malcolm Bivens' word. But the whole point of this is that Creed Brothers is basically going to beat up on uh, Kushida and Joro later in the night. We go backstage now. We get an interview from NAC new sensation, Solo Sequoia. And his interview is interrupted by Grayson Waller. And Waller tells Solo of what LA Knight has been saying about him all night in the backstage area, Elliot Knight walks up on him and he tells Waller that if I have anything to say to anybody, you know I'll say it to their face. And he talks about how Solo doesn't wear shoes and how Waller has like a dirty, dingy jacket or whatever. And now you get a squabble between Waller and Knight just having them mouthing off to each other. Solo cuts in between the two and he issues a triple threat match between all three of the men. He says three men will enter and one man will leave. And that man's going to be me. And he just walks away. So we get our triple threat match later in the night. Now we go to the ring. And now it's time for in-ring competition. It's a tag team match of the Creed Brothers with Diamond Mine in their corner going against Jacket Time. That is the tag team name of Kashida Hickman Yarrow. The Creed Brothers win the match by pinfall thanks to Roderick Strong. When Jaro was running to the ropes, Roderick pulled the second rope and Jura went through the second rope and he landed on his back in his neck region. So when he got up, he starts holding his neck. And once he got back into the ring, Julius picked up Jura for a gut wrench power bomb for the win. He hits it, wins the match after that. After the match is done, Diamond Mine August in the ring and they're celebrating this win. But Odyssey Jones runs himself in and starts attacking Roderick Strong. The Creed Brothers starts attacking Jones, but Kushida starts to get uh, take advantage of one of the Creed Brothers to beat up on him. And Odyssey and Kushida are able to run off the rest of Diamond Mine. So in the ring, uh, taking control of the ring are Kushida, Juro, and Odyssey Jones as Diamond Mine's in the ring, uh, the entrance ramp, staring at the ring, looking at all three of these men. So this tells me that next week we're probably going to get a six-man match between all, like, the Cree brothers and Roderick going against Jacket Time and Odyssey Jones. After this, we go to the parking lot area, and this is where Toxic Attraction are. They're walking towards their car, and they're stopped. And they mention how no one on the roster are going to take the championships off of them. And Mandy looks directly to the camera and tells Kaylee Ray that their stare down didn't scare her. And if she thinks she's next in line to get a shot at the championship, she can get a number and stand in the back of the line. Raquel Gonzalez then rolls up on him in her motorcycle, and she tells Mandy to keep her championship warm for her. She's going to be coming for her later, but right now she has other fish to fry. So Raquel Gonzalez rolls into the arena. She gets in the ring. She has a microphone in her hands, and she goes right to business. She calls out Dakota Kai, 
Dakota Kai comes out and Dakota tells Raquel that it felt good hitting her with that shovel. Dakota, as soon as she said that line, she was attacked from behind by Cora Jade. The referees are now getting between both Cora Jade and Dakota Kai, and the referees pull both of them apart. The referees are able to get Dakota to the backstage area, and as this is happening, Raquel walks up on Cora Jade and lets Cora know that. I understand you want a piece of Dakota, but Dakota's mine first. Once I'm done with her, you get to have her. Cora Jade looks at Raquel and says, okay. She tries to give Raquel a fish bump. Raquel just pushes that aside, and they have a mutual understanding now. Now we get a video playing of the Grizzly Young Veterans, and they're basically hashed up a plan to distract a stranger in order to grab his phone and order some food off his phone. And the main point of this video is to show that the Grizzly Young Veterans are trying to distract a stranger, and this is the way how you can distract the referee. Because if you can distract the stranger to give his phone from him, you can distract the referee in your match and win the match easily and do whatever you want. That's basically the great master plan of this. After this, we get now in-ring competition between Cameron Grimes going against Ru Fang. And Duke Hudson comes out in the middle of the match just to stand on the entrance ramp and just watch this match. Cameron Grimes wins the match by pinfall when he was able to hit the cave-in on Fang and beat him. After the match, Duke Hudson gets in the ring, and he has a mic in his hands, and Duke mentions how last week Cameron Grimes came into his place of business last week and won, and Duke is out here to know how Cameron Grimes did it. Cameron Grimes gets on the mic, and he says that I won last week, and he starts laughing directly in Duke's face, and Duke is now upset, and now he's starting to name call and start calling Cameron Grimes everything in the book, a hillbilly, da-da-da-da, and he calls him a hick. And that name just sticks with Grimes, and Grimes says that's not the first time he's been called a hick. And the thing about Grimes is that he's able to hold it down, whether it's in the ring, at a poker table, or at Wall Street, Cameron Grimes is able to hold it down. Cameron Grimes is that everyday guy. He's able to tell you how it is, if you want to know something, you come up to him. And Cameron Grimes basically admits to Hudson, yeah, I played you last week. And Hudson just has a stone look on his face like he just admitted to playing me. So Duke ends up throwing out a challenge to Cameron Grimes, and he says next week in front of these people in the middle of this ring, poker showdown, me versus you. Cameron Grimes accepts. So we're going to get a poker showdown between Duke Hudson and Cameron Grimes. I'm pretty sure this is going to end up in a brawl, and I'm pretty sure Cameron Grimes is going to go through that poker table next week in the middle of the ring. That's where my instincts is telling me this is where this is leading to. After this, we get a triple threat match now between Solo Sequoia, LA Knight, and uh, Grayson Waller. Solo wins the match by pinfall when Waller hits uh, LA Knight with a stunner, and then he goes for the pin. Solo was able to pick Waller up, hit a belly-to-belly to the outside of the ring, sending Waller to the outside of the ring. Solo gets to the top turnbuckle and hits a big Uso splash onto LA Knight to get the win again. This is they're not trying to hide it, and if they are, they're doing a bad, terrible representation. Because let me say this right now: Solo Sequoia looks like the Usos. You line them two, you line all three of them up, you know that they're brothers. That is no mistaking that with no way in the world. So all right, let's get him some wins on NXT, but let's hurry up and send him up to the bloodline. Let's hurry up, because we know where this is headed. We know where this should be headed to. 
I know they probably don't want to hotshot it, but it's okay to hotshot this one. Just do it. Um, backstage now, we got Indy Hartwell and her tag team partner and her best friend Persia, and they're there for a backstage interview. They talk about what's next for them since they lost the tag team ladder match. And as they're talking, Tony D'Angelo interrupts and tells Indy that her husband Dexter has been ducking him since he mentioned his name last week. And he tells Indy that next week, after he's done with Dexter, she'll be back on the market. He then hands Indy a fish and tells her to give that to her husband and he will get the message. This is basically to promote Dexter Loomis and Tony D'Angelo next week's match. And I don't know how that's going to end. Tony D'Angelo is a new character with the whole mafia gimmick, the whole Soprano style gimmick. I want to know what they're going to do with Tony. Is he going to beat uh, Dexter? Is he not going to beat Dexter? What kind of mess is going to happen? I want to know, but we'll probably get our... We'll probably get a little bit of a sneak peek like next week by the end of the main event because I'll explain it to you whenever the main event happens. After this match, we get uh, after this, we get Alexa Lopez with Legado del Fantasma in her corner, which is uh, Joaquin Wilde and Ra- Raul Mendoza in her corner going against a scrub Erica Yin. Alexa wins the match and she does it dominantly. She was able to hit a side way powerbomb on Yin to win the match. After the match, Electra gets the microphone and calls out Zion Quinn to the ring. Quinn walks down and enters the ring. Electra makes him an offer to join the God of the Phantasma. Zion tells Electra that she's amazing, but he rejects the offer. And as Zion was trying to walk out of the ring, Joaquin Wild tells him that nobody rejects Legado del Fantasma, so you get Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde attacking Zion Quinn, but Zion was able to handle them to just with with ease. I mean, just simply with ease. He sends them both outside of the ring, and now it's just Electra and Zion in the ring. Electra looks at Zion. She tries to slap him, but Zion catches her hands and then twirls her around and then just holds her like close to him, and you can feel the attraction between Zion and Electra. And you even hear the crowds start giving the little childish ooh. So you stay there and they hold each other for about a good minute. And then Zion lets go of her. He gets out of the ring. And as he's getting out of the ring, you have Raul and Joaquin trying to attack him again. But Electra puts her arms out to stop them from trying to attack Zion. So we're going to see. If Zion ultimately ends up getting with Electra and joining Legado del Fantasma, or is he going to be the person taking Electra out of Legado del Fantasma? Only time will tell. After this, it was then announced that on December 5th on Peacock, it will be War Games for NXT. And this is going to further along go along what I've been saying last week and the week before then. By the end of this main event, and I'll break it down to you once the main event comes. I know I've said about the main event earlier, but you'll understand. Trust me. Just hold on. After this, we get Kyle O'Reilly being interviewed backstage. He mentions how the referee last week made a mistake, and he didn't see Von Wagner's leg on the bottom rope in their match against uh, Legado del Fantasma. Kyle mentions how people are trying to figure out, is he going to be a singles wrestler? Is he going to be in the team with Von Wagner? Then Kyle confirms that him and Von are going after the tag team championships. Then you get Imperium walking up, who are the NXT tag team champions on Kyle, and they start questioning him until Von at walks up, taps Kyle on the back and says, hey, do we got a problem here? And then you see Imperium slowly walking back away. So this tells you that we're going to lead to a showdown with Von Wagner and Kyle going against Imperium. 
Now it's time for the main event of the night. It's Cameron Grimes with Trick Williams in his corner going against Pete Dunne. Dexter Loomis was on commentary for this match to further prove along his, uh, further push along his storyline with him and Gargano going against Carmelo and Trick. Pete Dunne wins the match by pinfall thanks to both Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis. And this happens when Pete Dunne was on the ring apron. He's on, he's laid out on the ring apron and the referee's kind of distracted with Carmelo. Trick Williams takes his shoe off and he's about to hit Pete in the head like he did Dexter last week, but Dexter was able to hit Trick in the throat and drop Trick to the floor. When this happens, Carmelo is standing next to the opposite side of the ring, next to the ropes, and somebody's hands grabs Trick uh, Carmelo's foot. Carmelo freaks out, and the person that ends up that Tune turns out to be grabbing uh, Carmelo's foot ends up being Johnny Gargano, but he doesn't know this until after the match. Carmelo freaks out, and this distraction allows Pete Dunne to hit the bitter end on Carmelo Hayes for the win. So now you get, after the match, on one side of the ring, Dexter Loomis, the other side of the ring, Johnny Gargano, and in the middle of the ring, Pete Dunne. You get Dexter and Johnny Gargano throwing up the thumbs up towards each other, and you get Pete Dunne in the middle of the ring just shrugging his shoulders. Let me get to my main point here. And I say all that because of this. I said to you guys, I believe last week or the week before, that we're leading up to a new school versus old school. With Carmelo Hayes saying that his championship is the A championship for NXT. And him him last week having an altercation with Tommaso Ciampa. And now you get Tony D'Angelo two weeks ago. saying Two weeks or either last week, one of the two. Him saying, promising that he'll beat up Kyle O'Reilly, he'll beat up Tommaso Ciampa, he'll beat up Johnny Gargano, he'll beat up Pete Dunne. He was naming all members of the old guard of what NXT used to be. So, you're we're, what I'm basically getting at is this. At War Games, I see this as the men's War Games. It's going to be Gargano, Dexter, Pete Dunne, and Tommaso Ciampa on one side and going against the new school of NXT, which is Carmelo Hayes, Braun Breaker, Tony D'Angelo, and Trick Williams. Now, you might say, why is Trick Williams in this match? Well, Trick Williams is the bodyguard of Carmelo Hayes. And if we go by, basically, War Games rules, technically since last, not last, yeah, last year, last year's rules, Dakota Kai's bodyguard, bodyguard last year was who? Raquel Gonzalez. So, and Raquel Gonzalez wasn't that, like, no-known on television that much. So we gotta give Trick something. We gotta, and I believe that anybody wielding a kendo stick can do what they gotta do. Anybody wielding a steel chair knows how to lay some hits on. So Trick will be able to do fine in this match because War Games is nothing but you uh, using weapons from time to time, especially WWE's version of War Games. You get to use weapons in it, and you get to use the cage as a weapon. So Trick Williams should be fine in this. But again, my version of the War Games is Gargano. Dexter, Tommaso, and Pete Dunne going against Carmelo, Braun, Trick Williams, Tony D'Angelo, new school versus old school NXT. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the teams. If they change it up, they're probably going to switch out Trick Williams for somebody else. Other than that, that's the teams for NXT War Games. But more on that development whenever they announce the actual teams for War Games, and that should be within the next couple of weeks. Now to AEW Dynamite. The first match of the night was Brian Danielson going against Rocky Romero with Orange Cassidy in Rocky's corner. 
Brian wins the match by pinfall, well, by submission, whenever he was able to lock Rocky Romero in for the Tequila Sunrise, and Rocky taps out. Let me state this right now. AEW Dynamite got to it, because this is the last Dynamite for them until tonight's uh, pay-per-view of Full Gear. Just want to throw that out to you. So, this was nothing but matches upon matches upon matches. After this, we get an in-ring promo from the Inner Circle, but before they even get in the ring to have their interview or their promo, they were attacked on the ramp by American Top Team and the Men of the Year. They sent Santana into the ring steps, and Julia Dos Santos was able to hit Sammy in the gut with one of his punches. He had a kindle stick, and he just started hitting people in the back with a kindle stick. You get Men of the Year, go into the ring with Dan Lambert. Dan Lambert puts up a table up, and Dan Lambert goes to the second rope, second turnbuckle. The men of the year assist Jericho onto Dan Lambert, and all three of those men put Jericho through a table. And once this all this piece of business is done, the men of the year get on the microphone, and they proclaim that this is just a small piece of what you can expect at Full Gear, where they'll be getting the whole full thing. Page gets on the microphone and say that at full gear, it will be Dan Lambert personally pinning Chris Jericho. And Ethan Page tells Dan Lambert to put Jericho in the walls of Jericho. Dan Lambert does this, and Scorpio Sky then grabs Jericho's hand and starts having Jericho tap out. So this is just humiliation for the inner circle for tonight's episode, well, tonight's pay-per-view of uh, full gear, and we'll see how that ends up for them whenever I give you guys the review on uh, Monday. After this, we get a trios women's match between the AEW Women's Champion Britt Baker and Rebel and Jamie Hayter going against Ty Conti, Anna Jay, and Thunder Rosa. Ty was able to win the match for her team by pinfall when she hit Rebel with the DD tie. And when she hits it, she's looking at Britt Baker in the eyes, and Britt Baker's about to enter the ring to stop it, but she grabs a championship and runs to the back. So Britt Baker is trying to preserve herself because she sees Ty as a threat, and she's not trying to hurt herself before the pay-per-view. So this was smart thinking on Britt's behalf. Let one of your uh, minions take the fall for you. After this, we get another match, and this Jungle Boy going against Anthony Bowens with Max Caster in his corner. Jungle Boy wins the match by submission when Jungle Boy was able to lock in the snare trap and make uh, Anthony Bowens tap out. After the match, however, Bobby Fish comes down to the ring and gets in the ring and attacks Jungle Boy. I mean, he puts a beating on Jungle Boy. And he continues to do this until Christian Cage and Luchasaurus comes down to try to make the save, but Bobby, Lash Bobby Fish leaves the ring whenever he sees Christian and uh, Luchasaurus. Now we go to the backstage and the super click, which is uh, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole. And Adam Cole just has, he tells the Young Bucks that I have somebody that I want you guys to meet. And he introduced them to, da-da-da-da, Bobby Fish. If you guys get this, and if you don't know, Adam Cole was in a group in NXT with Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong called the Undisputed Era. And since Bobby Fish is with uh, AEW now. You kind of can see where they're getting here. They're trying to lay bricks to if Adam Cole's going to team up with Bobby in the uh, future. Matt tells Fish that, hey, I know who uh, who Bobby Fish is. He says, yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, me and Nick had some history with uh, Fish back in the past. And he tells Fish, and he looks him dead in the eye, hey, listen, 
This, what I'm about to tell you, isn't un, isn't disputed. This is the Super Clicks era. This is the Elite era. This is a playback on the Undisputed Era's uh, slogan back at NXT. And they will always say, and that's undisputed. If you kind of could just get what I'm getting at here. Adam tells Fish that he wants Bobby Fish to beat up on Jungle Boy at, on AEW Rampage, but leave a little bit just for them at Full Gear, and Bobby Fish is okay with that. So on Rampage, we would get Bobby Fish going against Jungle Boy. This, I forgot to mention this to you guys too. Kyle O'Reilly's contract has been speculated and it's by a whole lot of wrestling insiders that Kyle O'Reilly's contract could be ending in December. So if his contract ends, I don't know if that means he got a 30-day non-compete clause or he can just straight up go to work. I think he could straight up go to work if he gets like his he doesn't sign a new contract. Because usually if you get fired, you got to like wait 90 days or 30 days for their WWE contract. But if you get like like let your contract run out the same way that Adam Cole did, you could basically just start working for the next company automatically off rip. So they try to lay groundwork because we don't know if Kyle is still being with uh, NXT with WWE or not. But if he happens to leave, we kind of know his next step is to AEW and we might get an Undisputed Era reunion. And if so, that'll be a great thing. Because um, we'll see Adam Cole more than likely popping off from the Super Elite and going back with his old group where they were dominating NXT to see if they could dominate AEW. And if they do that, that is nothing but money. So we'll have to see if Kyle Raleigh stays with NXT or not. I just wanted to throw that in there for you so you guys can get where AEW could be taking us into the future if Kyle happens to sign with AEW or if he just does stays with WWE. And I'm just telling you where they're trying to head you up with. After this, we get another match, and it's Wheeler Yuta with Chuck Taylor and Arch Cassidy in his corner going against Warlow. And they put on commentary and they say it on commentary. The reason why Warlow is out here without Sean Spears is that Sean Spears is helping MGF prep for his match with Darby Allen at full gear. And Warlow didn't even need Sean Spears at all because Warlow beat Willie Uta dominantly and single-handedly. He was able to powerbomb Willie Uta five times and then put him over into the top turnbuckle, lead him by his feet, and then drop his head right onto his knee and pin Uta. And that was it. It was all that Warlow and the, everything else ranged up. After the match, Arch Cassidy and Chuck Taylor get in the ring. And they look at Yuta to try to see if he's okay. And as this is happening, Isaiah Cassidy and the Blade come down to beat up on both Arch Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. Matt Hardy's in the uh, audience, well, in the front row audience. He hops over the barricade. He has a steel chair in hand. He gets in the ring and he hands um, Isaiah Cassidy a phone so he can record what's about to happen to Orange Cassidy. Matt hits Orange Cassidy in the gut with a steel chair and then he puts Orange Cassidy's head in between the steel chair and he hits a twist of fate on Cassidy who has his head inside a steel chair. So it looks more devastating. Then after this, we get a video of showing in the parking lot and is showing wrestlers separating Eddie Kingston and CM Punk, who both of these men are trying to go at each other. I mean, they're mouthing off each other, mouthing off at each other, trying to like really get like 
their paws on one another. And even at one point, Eddie Kingston was able to break away from the guys that were holding him. And he was running towards CM Punk. And they were able to catch Eddie Kingston before he got to CM Punk. So this is to hype up their match at Full Gear tonight. In which I think is a sleeper. But I have my money on basically Brian Danielson and Miro basically tearing the whole house down on Full Gear. No disrespect to Omega and Hangman and all the other matches that's supposed to happen. But I see Miro and Brian just tearing it down. Uh, after this, it's time for another match, and this time it's a tag team match, and this time it's Leo Rush and Dante Martin going against Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty. To me, this was match of the night. This was a solid tag team match where all four guys are straight up just great wrestlers at their core. They were able to show off what they can do, and especially with Leo Rush's uh, debut on Dynamite. This was a good debut for Leo. And they win the match whenever Dante Martin was able to hit the double uh, springboard moonsault onto Lee Moriarty for the win. Again, solid tag team match between all four men. I hope we get to see more of Lee Moriarty on Dynamite. I hope we get to see more of Dante Martin and Leo Rush on Dynamite because I like the dynamic. It still seems that Dante Martin doesn't really want to be with Leo like that because his face... Just looks like a face of a kid just being sad that he got to hang around an obnoxious guy that his mom told him that, Ayo, you got to hang around him. Just saying, you look at Dante Martin's face and you know exactly that what I'm talking about with that example. So I want to know whether they're taking this whole Leo Rush and Dante Martin thing. After this, we get a match between, well, technically the main event match, uh, Dax Hardwood with Tully Blanchard in his corner going against Pac. And Pac was able to win the match whenever he locks in the Brutalizer on Dax. And Dax starts to tap out. And again, this was another solid ta- a solid match between two uh, insanely qualified guys like Dax and Pac. Pac, main event wrestler. Main event for AEW. Could have main evented in WWE if they wanted to do it right. But... Pac is a solid main event talent. Dax Harwood, solid tag team wrestler. But also, if he wanted to do singles wrestler, he could be a singles wrestler too. But he would be like a throwback, like 1980s, early 1990s, like straight up, like bad guy villain. And I have no problem with Dax if he ever wanted to separate himself from Cash and the tag team to go to a singles run. Have no problem with that. After the match, Pac's still has the Brutalizer locked in, and he doesn't want to let go, and he ends up getting beat down by Cash Wheeler, who comes down to the ring, starts beating up on Pack until he lets it go. Now you get both FTR members just start beating down on Pack until the lights go out, and the lights go out for a minute, and then when they pop right back on, Andrade and Malachi Black are in the ring, and now you got Malachi, Andrade, and FTR all putting the boots to pack. They're all having four men just beating down on pack until the Lucha Brothers come down, running from the uh, backstage to the ring, and Cody making his way through the audience to get into the ring to make it a four-on-four fight. And now you get all four men just basically going at it. And you get Pack, Lucha Brothers, and Cody, the last four men standing in the ring as they sent uh, Andrade... Malachi and FTR outside of the ring going up the ramp. And it gets announced after this that Pac and Cody will go against Andrade and Malachi Black at full gear. Again, another solid tag team match. I like, I'm going to give you the predictions what I think is going to win at the end of this episode. 
But this match card for Full Gear ain't too shabby. It's a nice looking card. Um, after this, it's time for the main event segment. It is the contract signing between Hangman Page and AEW World Champion Kenny Omega. Stipulation for this contract signing is that the Elite and the Dark Order, all members, are all barred from coming to the ring. So it's going to be specifically just Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. Hangman sits down. He gets the contract. He doesn't even look over it. He just straight signs it immediately. And now you get the contract shoved over to Kenny's way. Kenny grabs the contract. He looks at it, and he doesn't sign it. He grabs the microphone. He tells Hangman that he wishes that the fans could see who Hangman truly is. He starts going back and telling a backstory about how whenever him and Hangman were teaming up last year, and that how every time Hangman felt an insecurity, it would always be Omega and the Bucks pushing Hangman to reach his potential, telling him to get off the floor and get back on that horse and keep going. Hey, you can do this. You got this. He's basically trying to say that Hangman felt that he couldn't live up to the expectation. He couldn't live up to somebody like a Kenny Omega, his tag team partner, whenever they were teaming up together. And Hangman is hearing all this. He cuts Omega off and he says, if I remember right, you had a tag team partner in the past that you felt that you couldn't hang with. And he's mentioning Kenny Omega's former tag team partner, Kota Ibushi. And Hangman has to give Omega credit that, you know what? You have surpassed your former partner. Look at you. You've almost been AEW World Champion for a whole solid year. So I can say you surpassed your tag team partner. But at Full Gear, I'm going to beat you. And if you can remember last year at Full Gear, after you beat me, you told me, Good job, Hangman. And that was your way of trying to keep me under your foot because you really didn't mean that. That was just your way to try to keep me down. So now, a whole full year later, I'm going to beat you and take that AEW World Championship from you. Kenny Omega hears all this and he tells Hangman that, listen, I did all that so you could push yourself to be at this exact spot where we're supposed to be right now. You in a championship match. Listen to all these fans. And the fans are cheering for Hangman. Listen to that. They're here because of me doing this for you. And I don't know if me and you are ever going to team up again later in the future. I don't know. Only the time will tell. But for tonight only, I want to be able to stick my hand out and tell you good luck in in our match at full gear. Kenny Omega extends his hand out. Hangman sees it. He gets up out of his chair. He grabs Kenny's hands and they shake. And Kenny looks at Hangman dead in the eye, and he tells him, good job, Hangman. And this is basically the same thing he just told. The Hangman said that. Kenny said to basically placate and hold Hangman down, and now you get fans booing Hangman. Not Hangman, but Kenny for saying that. And you get Hangman getting blasted from behind by a cameraman. And once the cameraman starts unmasking himself and taking the he- uh, mask off and the hat off, it's... Don Callis disguised as a cameraman. And now you have Don Callis laughing it up, Kenny Omega laughing it up at their master plan coming to fruition. And you get Don saying that the greatest trick that the devil did was making people forget that he existed. And Don basically equivalent that to him being off of AEW television for a whole solid six weeks. So now you got 
Kenny Omega holding Hangman's head up, and now Hangman has blood coming down his forehead, and Kenny has the contract in his hand. He gets Hangman's blood, and he starts signing his name in Hangman's blood. So the match is official. At full gear, we will get Kenny Omega going against Hangman Page for the AEW World Championship, and that's how they end AEW Dynamite. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with a number one contenders tag team match between Finn Juice and Bullet Club's own Chris Bay and El Fantasma with Hikaleo in their corner. This was a great tag team match Impact Wrestling starts off with, and Bullet Club wins the match by pinfall when Chris Bay was able to roll up Juice Robinson, but the referee was distracted, and when the referee finally pays attention to the count, Juice Robinson now is pinning Chris Bay, and as the referee is counting, El Fantasma gets in the ring and super kicks Juice right in the jaw, and then Chris Bay was able to pin Juice for the win. After the match, the Good Brothers walk to the ring, and they once they enter the ring, they start throwing hands with Bullet Club. Anderson and Gallows were able to throw Chris Bay and El Fantasma out of the ring, and then once Hikaleo gets in the ring, he was able to big boot Carl Anderson, and Carl Anderson now rolls out of the ring. So now you got two big men in the ring, Hikaleo and Gallows in the ring, and they just stare down at each other. And then they just start throwing blows at one another. But Hikaleo was able to get the better of the two whenever he starts hitting a uh, hip attack, well, hitting his hip into Gallows' stomach and then throwing him out of the ring. And then once he does that, both Phantasmo and Chris Bay get back into the ring to uh, celebrate with Hikaleo. And basically their tag team match for the tag team championship is going to happen at Turning Point Impact Wrestling's uh, next pay-per-view, but it's technically going to be on their a uh, subscription uh, service, Impact Plus. After this, we get a backstage interview with Scott Demore, and he's questioned about why Josh Alexander is not in the main event to determine the number one contender for the Impact World Championship. It's a triple threat match, and the main event is going to be Eddie Edwards going against Matt Cardona going against W. Morrissey. Scott mentions that running a company, he has to look out for the best of the company, and he also has to look out for the best of the talent. And for this, he's going to look out for the best of Josh. Josh walks up behind him and tells Scott that you haven't been answering any of my calls, but you could tell these people why I'm not in the main event. Scott tells Josh that he knows Josh focuses on the world title. He knows this, but his mind is really focused right now on Minoru Suzuki. And he lets Josh know that next week on Impact, he's going to be facing Minoru Suzuki uh, in the main event. So once he gets done with Minoru Suzuki, his mind can truly be focused on the Impact World title. And he can go back to being on the chase for the World Championship. After this, we get a backstage vignette, or well, backstage segment of Brian Myers and his learning tree, which now consists of VSK and Zicky Dice. Brian can't believe that he lost to Sam Beal last week on BTI. This is Impact Wrestling's um, program before Impact Wrestling, like the product, the show, actually begins. This is like the little uh, pre-show before the actual show show. So he lost to Sam Beal last week in a six-man tag team match. It was Brian Myers and his learning tree going against Sam Beal and Rich Swan and Willie Mack. Brian throws out the challenge to Sam Bill for a one-on-one match with no one around the ring. It's just going to be him and Bill, and we will get our answer later on in the night of if Bill does accept. After this, we get Caleb going against Minoru Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki wins the match easily. Minoru was able to put Caleb in a sleeper hold and then transfer it into the gotch-style power driver for the win. And while this short match did happen, Josh Alexander was watching the match backstage. 
after this, we get Moose having an interview backstage, and he's asked about uh, the triple threat match later in the night. He's mentioned how each man in the triple threat match has a reason to be pissed off at him for different reasons. Eddie Edwards' reason is that because Moose tried to break his wife's neck. Matt Cardona's reason is that Moose took Matt Cardona's only opportunity to win a world title uh, at Bound for Glory away from him. And W. Morrissey's reason is that Moose screwed him before he was able to screw Moose. So Moose makes it clear that each man has a legitimate reason why they would want to try to beat him up and take the world title away from him. But Moose says whoever wins the match should be afraid to face him because he is the most dangerous man in professional wrestling. After this interview, we go back to the ring and it is now time for another tag team competition. This time it's the knockouts division. It's Rosemary and Havoc going against the undead bridesmaids, Kimberly and Brandy Loren. Uh, the inspiration come down to the entrance uh, stage to watch this match unfold and Rosemary and Havoc win the match when Havoc has Brandy in a side slam backbreaker and then when she hits the move, she holds her up so Rosemary can hit her spear on Brandy and then cover her for the win. After this, we go to backstage and we get out, got Heath Slater and Rhino in the backstage area and Heath is hoarse, but he's still able to convey what he's trying to say in this backstage um, segment. He talks about how his family is truly back together, meaning that Rhino is back with Heath and his family. His daughters now have Uncle Rhino back, and Heath doesn't understand why Violence by Design still has tension with him because he got Rhino back. Rhino then starts to talk about how this last year he remembers everything that Eric has put him through and how Eric has been poisoning his body and his mind and soul. And he can't take that poison out by himself. So now with the help of Heath. He'll be able to purge this poison out of him. And he issues a challenge to Eric Young. To a match at Turning Point. After this we get another backstage segment. And this time it's from the Inspiration. They talk about how last week they asked the unbride, undead bridesmaids. To go against Rosemary Havoc this week. But they didn't get the job done. So next week. On Impact, it will be the inspiration going against the Undead Brides, and they're going to sh take them out of their knockouts division permanently. After this, we get another backstage segment, but it's a backstage promo from Chris Saban. Chris Saban talks about how Ace Austin has been walking around with an I Beat Chris Saban t-shirt, so Chris Saban decides to challenge Ace Austin to a match at Turning Point. After this backstage segment, Impact decides to play a video of Madison Rain talking to Caleb last week. And Kim Madison talks about how people are just coming into Impact and now they're just walking all over her. Madison talks about how Mickey came into Impact and got a championship match. Now Mercedes Martinez is, comes into Impact and she wins the tournament and now she gets a championship match. Madison just basically complains about how this is basically unfair. Scott Demore walks up to Madison and tells her that, you know what? You're right. People are been coming up in here and just getting matches unfairly. So you know what, what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to have you go against Mercedes Martinez next week on Impact. So now, fast forward, it's next week. So now it's Madison Rain going against Mercedes Martinez. Mercedes wins the match by pinfall when Madison tries to hit a cutter on Martinez, but Martinez was able to roll Madison Rain up for the win. But as she's doing it, she applied more pressure, meaning she put her body onto Madison's legs so that Madison couldn't like kick out. So anyway, Mercedes wins the match. 
after the match, Madison Rain gets up, throws Martinez, um, Martinez into the turnbuckle and starts punching and stomping on Martinez. And this happens until Martinez was able to punch back, but Madison was able to duck one of her punches and hit Martinez with a cutter. Madison Rain then goes outside to get her chair, and then when she brings the chair inside the ring, she sets it up, and Madison starts picking up Martinez, and before she could do anything, Mickey James runs down to the ring, and when she slides in, she hits Madison with a Mickey kick, and then Madison uh, rolls out of the ring and walks up the ramp to the back. Mickey's now checking on Ma uh, Mercedes Martinez to see if she's okay, and Martinez is like, I'm okay, I'm fine, but... Mercedes is suckering and weaseling uh, Mickey in because as Mickey is constantly checking up on Martinez, Martinez then quickly scoops up Mickey and hits her with a white noise and lays out Mickey. So this is basically a way to set up their match at turning point for the Knockouts Championship. Then we go backstage for a Steve Macklin promo. Macklin mentions how last week he lost the match, but he technically didn't lose because he hasn't been pinned. He hasn't been pinned last week, and he hasn't been pinned at Balfour Glory, and how nobody in the locker room has been able to beat him. And then Macklin mentions how he should be put into that X Division Championship match at Turning Point with Trey Miguel and uh, Laredo Kid. Trey Miguel walks up on Macklin, and they start trash talking. Scott Demore sees this; he walks over, and Trey tells Scott to add Macklin to the match because he's tired of Macklin just constantly complaining. So. Scott tells Trey that I love the moxie that you got, kid, but that's not how things work here. You know that. But Macklin can earn his way into the match. So next week, Macklin will go against Laredo Kid, and if he wins, he gets added into the match. However, if he loses the match, Scott Demore doesn't want to see Macklin show up at the pay-per-view because Macklin has a way of always attacking somebody after the, their match and more than likely more or less is always the x division because that's where macklin is kind of like stationed right now so scott demore makes that a point i don't want to see your face at the pay-per-view if you lose this match macklin says you ain't got a problem with that because i won't lose so we'll happen to see what happens with that next week now it's time for another backstage uh promo and this time it's from sam bill and this is whenever he's surrounded by rich swan and willie mack cutting to the point sam bill uh, does agree to facing Brian Myers, and we'll have to see if that happens on next week's Impact show or on BTI. After this, now it's time for in-ring competition with Rohit Raju going against Rocky Romero. This was a solid uh, match between Rocky and Rohit, but Rohit was able to win the match by pinfall when Rohit was able to hit a jumping knee to the face of Rocky Romero, and then Rohit was able to hit a uh, running, sliding knee to Romero's face to pin him for the win. After this, now it's time for the main event of Impact Wrestling for the number one contendership to determine who's going to be the number one contender for the World Championship. It's a triple threat match. Matt Cardona going against W. Morrissey going against Eddie Edwards. Eddie Edwards wins the match whenever he was able to hit a Boston knee party to the back of the head of Matt Cardona and cover him for the pin. This was a solid triple threat match from Impact Wrestling. Uh, w. Morrissey was controlling majority of this match. and I, Let me just say this right now. Morrissey, or better known as Big Cass from WWE fame, he has come far, far, far from just being a big guy to just throw big boots. Big Cass now knows how to work his uh, power. He knows how to work his height in with his power. 
He was able to hit double choke slams on Matt Cardona and Eddie Edwards in this match. He was able to hit power bombs. He was able to be actually a dominant big man in this match. So W. Morrissey, a.k.a. Big Cass, has come a far way than just being a walking side guy for a talking mouthpiece, if you will, like he was for Enzo Amore. So I give Impact a lot of praise for giving Morrissey the space for him to grow and develop more into a wrestler that he wanted to be whenever he was in WWE, but in WWE, you know, you got short, uh, shackles on yourself, so, you know what time it is, but anyway, Eddie Edwards wins the match, so now he's going to go against Moose at turning point for the Impact World Championship, and that is your Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with Sonya Deville in the ring with the SmackDown Women's Survivor Series team, which consists of Shotzi, Natalia, Shayna Baszler, Aaliyah, and Sasha Banks. Sasha wants to go right at Shotzi, and those two start mouthing off, and then you got the rest of the Survivor Series team just separating these two. Then Naomi comes out, and you can see Deville, Sonya Deville get upset, and she's not trying to have it. But Naomi runs into the ring and she goes right after Shayna Baszler. And now you got Shayna and Naomi fighting. And now you got all the women fighting each other except for Sonya Deville. They go to commercial break and once they come back, it's now been stated as a six-woman tag team match. It's Aaliyah and Naomi and Sasha Banks going against Shayna Baszler, Natalya, and Shotzi. Aaliyah wins the match for her team by pinfall whenever... Aaliyah was locked into the sharpshooter by Natalia, but Natalia was so close to the ropes that Naomi was able to grab Natalia by the head and ram her neck and head into the middle ropes, which allowed Aaliyah to be able to counter out of the sharpshooter and pin uh, Natalia. After the match, you have Aaliyah just celebrating with Naomi and Sasha Banks because this is Aaliyah's first time on SmackDown, first time on uh, inside the ring, and she's been working hard for seven years just to get to this point, so now she's here, so she, this was a big moment for her. Uh, after this, we go to the backstage area, and it's Sami Zayn in the locker room, in his empty locker room, and he's talking to himself in a mirror. He was trying to practice a speech that he wants to give to his men's Survivor Series uh, teammates, and the main point of the speech is that he's trying to lead the team to victory as team captain at Survivor Series. As Sammy is talking, he sees a head in his corner rearview mirror. And then he, as he turns his head, he sees Jeff Hardy standing right there. Sammy asks Jeff, how much of that speech did you hear? Jeff said, I was here the whole time. Sammy asks him, okay, how was the speech? Jeff said, to be honest with you, it sucked. And Sammy left the locker room and then just in a huff. Now we go back to Aaliyah. She's now walking backstage. She's so happy and chipper. and She just stopped by an interviewer and she's getting interviewed. And Aaliyah mentions how she has been working so hard to get to SmackDown. She just debuted. She got a win. And now she's on this women's Survivor Series team, a uh, women's team. And she's on cloud nine. Sonya Deville walks up to Aaliyah. And at first you can see Sonya Deville kind of looks, looks kind of annoyed. And she asks Aaliyah, how long have you known Naomi? Aaliyah says, not long. DeVille then wipes off the annoyed face and she says, you know what, never mind that. And congratulates Aaliyah for winning her match. Sonya DeVille then has to put a complete stop to the celebration and tell Aaliyah that, you know what, I got word from higher up that um, you got to be removed from the Women's Survivor Series team. So I'm here to do that. You have been removed from the Women's Survivor Series team. 
And Sonya walks away, and now Aaliyah just looks sad and disappointed, and it looks like a kid that basically got their balloon popped by a bully. Pat McAfee is a great guy on commentary, because as soon as this happens, they turn right to the commentary team, and Pat McAfee says, Sonya Deville stinks, and she's been taking, like, an abuse of power. I love that WWE has Pat McAfee on the payroll for SmackDown commentary. He makes the commentary team so much enjoyable for SmackDown. SmackDown's already an enjoyable product, but Pat McAfee as commentary just makes it a whole lot more better, especially him with Michael Cole. Um, anyway, we now go to Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns. They're about to enter Roman's locker room, but they're stopped by Kayla Braxton. Kayla was about to ask Roman a question, but Roman stops her before she can even ask a question. Roman says, you must either be here to acknowledge your tribal chief, or you're here to flirt with the wise men. Roman tells Kayla, all right, I'll, let me quit playing with you. What do you want? And as Kayla's about to say something, he says, huh, nobody cares what you want. And then he tells Paul to handle this. And as Roman enters his locker room, Paul tells Kayla this piece of information. The tribal chief has authorized me tonight here on SmackDown, Kayla, to up the ante against Xavier Woods. Tonight, live on SmackDown, Xavier will take a bended knee and will acknowledge Roman Reigns as his tribal chief. And if Roman Reigns is not mad enough to make that happen to Xavier, then Roman Reigns will take a bended knee. Me. And just so you know that there's no games afloat, if Roman Reigns violates this stipulation, you may strip Roman Reigns of the Universal Championship and banish him from SmackDown. And since we're in the Commonwealth of Virginia, what I have just said is a legal and binding oral contract. So you heard it right there, folks. If Roman Reigns happens to beat Xavier Woods tonight, Roman would get Xavier to bend the knee to Roman. If Roman happens to lose, he will have to bend the knee to Xavier Woods. If Roman does not bend the knee, he will be stripped of the Universal title and he will be off of SmackDown. And that's all coming from Roman Reigns himself. Now, after this, we get a tag team match. And it's from the Los Lotharios, which is now Angel Garza and Humberto who both of them got their names clipped, so now it's just Angel and Humberto going against the Intercontinental Champion, Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs. Angel gets the win for his team by pinfall when Angel and Humberto hit their new tag team finish, which is basically Humberto hitting a springboard in Sigiri, while at the same time, Angel hits Shinsuke Nakamura with a sweeping of the leg, and that's how Angel wins the match for his team, the Los Lotharios. After this, we get Sami Zayn walking into Adam Pearce's locker room. And Adam Pearce now has Vaughn Wagner like standing next to him. And Sami talks about having Jeff Hardy being removed from the Men's Survivor Series team. Adam says, you know what? I have thought about removing somebody off the uh, men's team. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you go against... Jeff Hardy tonight, and the loser of that match will be removed from the Survivor Series uh, team. Sami Zayn leaves in a huff, so we got our match later tonight. Now it's time for Charlotte Flair. She comes down to the ring for an in-ring promo, and she's basically out here to hype up her match with Becky Lynch at Survivor Series, the Raw Women's Champion Becky going against the SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte Flair. Charlotte talks about how Becky 
now has many, many nicknames. The Irish last kicker, the man, Becky Two Belts, big time Bex. Charlotte right now doesn't even know who Becky really is. Charlotte mentions how at Survivor Series, Becky will have a new nickname, and it will be Becky Uh-Oh. So Charlotte this, this goes on this whole rant about saying that once Becky loses to Charlotte at Survivor Series, she'll be Becky Uh-Oh, I lost to Charlotte at Survivor Series. Becky Uh-Oh, I lost um, to the greatest woman of all time. Becky Uh-Oh, I came back from pregnancy uh, no birthing, birthing a baby too soon. I mean, Charlotte went in on this thing, and something to me. I'm not saying it felt a little bit personal, but from the rumors that people have been trying to stir up backstage about how Becky and Charlotte really probably don't like each other, I can tell that Charlotte probably took a little bit of jabs in this thing. Anyway, Charlotte did start saying that she's a star maker, and that how ever since Becky has come in contact with Charlotte, Becky has been a star. And Charlotte then goes on to say. Whenever she faced Shotzi a couple weeks ago, even in defeat, Shotzi was able to submit herself and become a star. So Charlotte now decides to call herself the star maker. Tony Storm then comes down and tells Charlotte that everything that she has said has been nothing but hot air. Tony mentions how Becky defended the Raw Women's Championship a couple weeks ago on Raw and then asks Charlotte, have you done that? Since you've been on SmackDown, have you defended your SmackDown Women's Championship? And you just start hearing Tony chant, well, P, the fans chant no. So then you get Tony making the challenge towards Charlotte for a SmackDown Women's Championship match tonight. Charlotte responds with absolutely not and leaves the ring. Now we go backstage and we got Kayla Braxton interviewing King Woods. She mentions how Roman upped the ante in his match with you later in tonight and that how you will have the goal without Kofi because last week Kofi got taken out. Wood says that with Kofi being taken out by the bloodline and Biggie being powerbombed earlier this week on the apron, it has been a good week for the New Day. But that all changes tonight when he makes Roman Reigns bend the knee. After this, we go to another side of the arena with this Aaliyah walking. Well, technically she's on the phone. With somebody, she mentions how she's had a misfortune of, of getting the news from Sonya that she's been taken on to the Survivor Series team. And as she's talking to somebody on the phone, Mustafa Ali walks up to her and Aliyah gets off the phone. And before Mustafa can give Aliyah some type of advice, Ricochet walks up to Aliyah and Mustafa and, she t- and he tells Aliyah that whatever Mustafa is about to tell you, don't believe any of it. Ricochet tells Aaliyah that you are in the ring with veterans and legends, and you got the win tonight. So remember to always keep your head up, and trust me, you'll make it to the top of this industry. After this, now it's time for our one-on-one match between Sami Zayn and Jeff Hardy. Loser leaves the SmackDown Men's Survivor Series team. Jeff Hardy ends up winning the match by pinfall, and thanks to Sami Zayn's own negligence. Sami Zayn tried to get the win, Whenever he rolled up Jeff Hardy and then he puts his foot, well, his feet on the leg, on the ropes. And as the referee was counting, she got to two and then she looked at the ropes and saw Sammy's feet on him. She stopped the count. She told Sammy to get his feet off the ropes. Sammy walked up to her and start, uh, they start dis- disagreeing about the count. And this allowed Jeff Hardy to turn him around and hit him with the twist of fate. And it followed up with a swanton bomb. 
and then pin him for the win. Now, Sammy is officially off the Submitted Survivor Series team, and they did this in the most dramatic fashion. Whenever they had the graphic up on the screen, and Sami Zayn was watching as he was literally being erased off the Men's Survivor Series team. So right now for the men on SmackDown, we now have Drew McIntyre, King Woods, Jeff Hardy, and Happy Corbin. More than likely next week, we'll find out who they will replace that mystery spot with. After this, we get a backstage segment from Hit Row, and they rap about how coming from they came from a long way, but now they're on SmackDown, and then the next one's up. I still can't believe they got rid of B-Fab. I, I, I'm not liking that deep down in my core because she just got on the main roster. Y'all decided to like already cut her. I'm not understanding it, but I hope to God we get some type of uh, explanation from that because I'm not trying to believe nothing from nobody until I get like something that I will actually believe and actually make me ponder and say, yeah, that's believable. But if you're going to tell me money issues, nah, that ain't it, fam. I ain't trying to hear that. Anyway, we get a cringy, cringy rap uh, edition or parody from Jinder Mahal and Shanky. So we now know who Hit Row's official feud is going to be with Jinder and Shanky. And more than likely, they're probably going to pair Sami Zayn with that because Sami Zayn got humiliated by Hit Row last week. So I can see those three men taking on Hit Row. Um, after this, we get Kayla Braxton now interviewing Ridge Holland. The main point of this interview is that Ridge talks about how big of an inspiration Seamus is, and he can't wait to officially meet Seamus when Seamus gets to the SmackDown roster. Cesaro walks up to Ridge and tells Ridge that he knows Seamus real well and that him and Seamus even set the bar. That that was a pun on Seamus and Cesaro's old tag team name, The Bar. Um, Cesaro tells Ridge that, yo, you need to take it easy because Seamus hasn't been himself. Holland tells Cesaro that he knows that and he plans on becoming partners with Sheamus and becoming a better team with Sheamus than Sheamus was ever was with Cesaro. So Ridge is trying to make it a point to meet his idol. More than likely, probably when Sheamus gets on the main roster, Sheamus is going to be a prick to Ridge and we're probably going to see Ridge like attacking Sheamus and then now set up a feud between Sheamus and Ridge. That's just my idea for that now it's time for the main event of smackdown and we got roman reigns with paul Heyman in his corner going against king woods this was an incredible match i mean you this is the first time match between woods and roman and especially with the two different dynamics at first when you would have thought this match would have happened when 2016 or 17 when the new day were just hot as Bacon Grease, and Roman Reigns was still trying to become like the big dog, like the man that he is now. But now since Roman has now elevated as the legit top-any-top guy of the professional wrestling industry, at least in WWE. And now you got Xavier Woods, who's now fulfilled his prophecy as King Woods. And now you get these two guys going against one another. It, this was a solid match, literally. Um, is it? It's a shame that it ended in disqualification. It's a true shame because when Woods was able to hit his coast-to-coast elbow drop on Roman Reigns and Woods was pinning Roman and it looked like, by God, this is literally the end. We're going to see Roman bend the knee. The Usos come out from under the ring and they pull Xavier out of the ring and they start beating down on Xavier Woods. Even to at one point, they grab the steel steps and they hit Xavier with it and that had Xavier flying over the commentary table. 
Now the camera work goes back to Roman, who's inside the ring, and we start seeing Roman bending the knee, and I was like, oh boy, Roman actually did keep his promise, because technically he lost to Xavier by disqualification, so he's bending the knee. But no, you're about to figure this out, why he's bending the knee. You see the Usos fighting over something, and you just hear them bickering and backering at one another, and they start saying, I want to do it, I want to do it, and the camera points over at what they're talking about, and it's the Usos holding the crown. And then now you see the Usos walking over to Roman, and they just place the crown right on top of Roman Reigns' head. And Roman gets up off of his knee, and now he's standing up with the crown on his head. And he throws up the one finger sign, and the Usos throw it up with him. And now you got the bloodline all throwing up the one finger for their slogan, We the Ones. But Roman now is wearing King Wood's crown. So, Roman did keep his word. He did bend the knee, but he's taking the crown with him. So, we're going to see how this more plays into part as Survivor Series. Because Roman has to go against Biggie. King Woods is on the SmackDown Survivor Series team. I have a feeling that Survivor Series is going to be King Woods literally costing Roman that win against Big E out of spite. And you're going to have the New Day literally, Kofi included, with Xavier helping Big E to beat Roman and technically costing SmackDown a win at Survivor Series. That's just my way of how I think they're trying to plan this out. I could be digging so far into it, but... We'll just have to see whenever that happens, and that's more or less next week, because next week is Survivor Series, and um, I will give you my predictions for Survivor Series next week on next week's episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Anyway, that was SmackDown. Now on to AEW Rampage. The first match of the night is Jungle Boy going against Bobby Fish, and this was a solid match. Bobby Fish dominated the majority of it, but Jungle Boy was able to get the win by submission whenever he was able to lock in the snare trap on Bobby Fish, and Bobby was able to hold on for a little bit, but he passed out, but before he did pass out, he was able to tap out, so he tapped out and passed out, so Jungle Boy technically got a two for one. After the match, Adam Cole came running down to the ring, and him and Jungle Boy start fighting inside the ring, and this happened for a short period of time until uh, Bobby Fish popped up off the mat and started attacking Jungle Boy from behind, so now it's a two-on-one beatdown. Adam Cole goes outside of the ring to grab his two steel chairs. And then once he gets back inside the ring, he puts Jungle Boy's head on one of the chairs. And as Adam was about to raise the second chair, Christian Cage and Luchasaurus comes running down to the ring. Adam leaves the ring, but Bobby Fish is left standing there to fight off both Christian and Luchasaurus. But that doesn't happen for Bobby. Bobby succumbs to, well, the overpower of both Luchasaurus and Christian Cage. And Christian was able to hit the kill switch engage on Bobby Fish as Adam Cole and the Young Bucks now who are on the ramp. They're watching this as Bobby Fish gets hit with the kill switch. So this again was a, another way to hype up their match at full gear. After this, we get a backstage uh, promo from the Super Elite. But before Adam Cole was about to say anything to try to promote the pay-per-view, Heyman Page walks up on them. And Hangman and Adam Cole are literally both nose to nose. And Hangman says he has to speak to the Bucks. Cole says, anything you can say to them, you can say with me being around them. Hangman then looks at the Bucks and says, listen, I need to speak to you guys alone. 
Matt tells Cole, it's okay, we got this. And Matt, uh, and Cole walks away. Hangman tells the Young Bucks, you know what? I need to tell you guys this. I'm sorry. And you get a surprise look from the Young Bucks. And Hangman tells him, listen, I know I've acted like a butthole last year. I wasn't in the best space. I know I cost you guys a shot at gaining the AEW Tag Team Championships. But you guys also cost me a shot at the AEW World Championship in July whenever I was with the Dark Order. So in my book, I see that we're both even. And let me tell you guys something. You guys better not step into that match with Kenny Omega and myself at full gear. And he says, because I swear to God, if you guys happen to do anything, I will ruin you. And he just walks away. And so you could tell that this is really something that Adam Page, one, had to get off his chest. And two, he's really trying to make amends. And three, I will literally hurt you if you happen to screw me over at Full Gear because he knows what the Young Bucks are capable of. So we'll happen to see what happens at Full Gear whenever that pay-per-view happens, which is tonight. Um, after this, we get Jay Cargill with her manager, Mark Smart Mark Sterling, going against Santana Garrett. And before the match starts, we get a view of Red Velvet, who is now in the front row in the audience section watching the match because Red Velvet has to go against Jade in the tournament for the TBS championship. This was short work and light work for Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill wins the match by pinfall when she hits Jaded onto Santana Garrett for the win. Uh, but during the match, Jade will walk up to Red Velvet and they will just jaw jack with one another. And even at one point, Jade Cargill threw Santana Garrett over the barricade onto Red Velvet. After the match, Red Velvet hopped the guardrail and speared Jade Cargill. And now both of these women are on the outside of the ring fighting one another. And you get uh, security personnel to come and separate these two ladies. So this is just another way to hype up their match in the TBS championship tournament after this we get another one-on-one match and it's Dante Martin going against Aria Davari the reason why Leo Rush is not out here with Dante Martin the commentary team lets us know that Leo Rush had to leave AEW for a moment because his grandmother passed away so they wish uh Leo a speedy uh him and his family a speedy recovery uh, Dante Martin wins the match whenever he was able to hit a spring double springboard moonsault on Davari. This was a match to highlight and showcase uh, Dante Martin, and they still want to put the emphasis on that Dante Martin truly is the future. And if you didn't know this, they really highlighted this truly after the match because after the match was done, Taz and Ricky Starks sent uh, Will Hobbs and Hook down to the ring to hand Dante a contract. Ricky Starks gets up from commentary and he grabs a microphone and he tells Dante that he wants him to join Team Taz. He wants Dante to look over the contract and let him uh, let them know what his decision is, but he doesn't have to do it tonight. That he got some time to look it over. Now, if you have been following AEW, Dante Martin is technically hooked up and linked up with Leo Rush right now. And since Leo isn't here, Dante is by himself, the young, naive guy. So Team Taz tried to take advantage of this. So we'll have to see what happens whenever Leo Rush comes back 
and how he's going to basically handle Team Taz because of this, uh, uh, because of their, uh, they, uh, God, their misfortune. They're trying to take advantage of Leah Rush's misfortune and Dante Martin's, uh, young and, young, unbridled, uh, naiveness. After this, now it's time for the main event of Rampage. It's a lumberjack match between Orange Cassidy and Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy wins the match by pinfall, and at the end of this match, both members of the HFO, Hardy Family Organization, and members of Best Friends was able to get in the ring and start hitting each other with their finishers. You then, at the towards the legit end of the match, Britt Baker, not Britt Baker, the bunny is in the ring, and you get Chris Statlander hitting a spear on the bunny. You get these two fighting in the ring, and the referee is distracted by this. So the blade comes in, and he hits uh, Orange Cassidy in the face with brass knuckles. The Matt Hardy then covers Orange Cassidy for the win, and that's how our Matt Hardy wins the match. After the match, however, Matt picks up Orange Cassidy and locks in his finisher, the leech, which is a guillotine choke hold. And as this is happening, each member of the HFO decides to lay out each member of Best Friends with the brass knuckles. And that's how AEW Rampage ends with all members of HFO standing on top while Best Friends are laid out. Now it's time for my Full Gears uh, prediction. For match number one, Andrade and Malachi Black going against Cody Rose and Pac. I have a feeling that Andrade and Malachi are going to beat Cody and Pac because this is Cody and Pac's first time teaming up against one another. And Pac is still technically a tweener, meaning a good guy slash bad guy. And if Cody does something that will piss Pac off, I have a feeling that Pac's going to stomp Cody out for that. After this, I have Christian Cage and Jurassic Express beating the Super Click in their Falls Count Anywhere match. Yeah, I I have a feeling that Christian Cage and Jurassic Express is going to beat the Super Click. That's just my personal feeling on it. Uh, CM Punk going against Eddie Eddie Kingston. I have CM Punk beating Eddie Kingston. I think Kingston Kingston said it last week on Rampage. I'm not. I don't care if I win or lose against you. I'm not here to win. I'm just here to beat you up. So Kingston is going to be focusing too much on trying to beat up Punk, while Punk's only mission is to beat Eddie Kingston. So Punk's going to beat Kingston. That's my decision. Now to Darby Allen and MGF. To me, this was the hardest match to call on the card for me to see who's going to win. Because Darby, he lost to CM Punk, returning CM Punk at their last pay-per-view. MGF, he lost to Chris Jericho at the last pay-per-view. Both men technically need a win, but, and here's the key thing here, MGF, they're going to insert MGF in at any point. MGF is a bad guy, and he will get massive boos from the crowd. Darby Allen, good guy. Everybody loves Darby. They could throw him into any spot, and people will cheer for Darby because Darby is so different. So this is why this match was so hard for me to call. But in the end, I have Darby beating MJF because I want to say this plays into the main event, at least in my head, later down the line, and I'll break it down to you when I get to it. Uh, next match, the Lucha Brothers defending the AEW Tag Team Championships against FTR. I have Lucha Brothers beating FTR because the Lucha Brothers just got the AEW Tag Team Championships. And FTR already got the AAA Tag Team belts. There's no need for them to be double up FTR with both sets of belts. It ain't happening. 
After this, the inner circle going against American top team and men of the year in a Minneapolis street fight. This is the easy one. Inner circle beats American top team in the men of the year. Easy. And Chris Jericho is going to hit the Judas effect on Dan Lamberg and probably even make Dan Lamberg tap out to the walls of Jericho. Uh, now for my personal pick of match of the night, Brian Danielson going against Miro. I have Brian Danielson beating Miro because this is going to play into a bigger, bigger storyline, way bigger, uh, towards the end of the night. Uh, after this, Britt Baker defending her AEW World Women's World Championship against Ty Conte. I have Britt Baker beating Ty Conte because Ty is still relatively new to People, people like that. I mean, she's been on AEW for a minute. But, however, compared to Britt Baker's popularity and the stories that we could tell with Britt, I have Britt winning. And now time for the main event. Hangman Adam Page going against the AEW World Champion Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship. I have Kenny winning this. I know this might be ludicrous to sound, but I have Kenny winning because of one reason, one reason only. Hangman came back at a uh, casino ladder match. And we're all excited to see Hangman finally win the AEW Championship. We all are. I'm not going to lie. It'll be a great day whenever Hangman wins. However, this is not the right moment. Because once Brian Danielson wins this tournament, right? Do we really want to see Brian Danielson going against Hangman Page? I mean, we do. But do we want to see it as much as we want to see him literally go against Kenny Omega and those two have a legit knockout, drag-out fight, one winner, winner-take-all, either submission or pin match. You put both of those matches against one another, I guarantee you, ten, 9 times out of the 10, people are still going to side with Kenny versus Brian Danielson. So, I have Kenny Omega beating Brian Danielson, not Brian Danielson, but Heyman Page, to win and retain his AEW World Championship. Now, this brings me into two things. Let me get to the Brian Danielson part. I have a feeling that I don't know how long John Moxley is going to be gone. I don't know how long it takes it's going to take for him to be in that inpatient rehab facility. But just follow me here. I have a feeling that Brian Daniels is going to win. They're going to set this off for some time for Brian to go against Kenny. And once that match happens, you're going to have Brian Danielson coming all so close to beating Kenny Omega, but John Moxley is going to screw Brian Danielson out of the win. And it's going to turn into a, oh my God, why did John Moxley do this? And John Moxley is going to make it one statement and one statement only. I'm going to be the only person to beat Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship, not nobody else. So this is going to lead to Moxley and Brian Danielson having a feud in which incorporates both Eddie Kingston and Punk. So then you'll get your tag team match with the nasty, rough, uh, dirty Street Fighter guys of uh, John Moxley and Kingston going against the Technical wrestlers, the uh, technically the older guard of what professional wrestling used to be of the early 2000s of CM Punk and Brian Danielson. Secondly, with Darby Allen, once that's happening, I have a feeling that we're going to have Darby kind of slide his way into the main event of him going against Kenny Omega somehow, some way. Because Darby, I have a feeling that they're trying to push Darby into that main event spot of like, yo, he can main event things. He has that connection with the fans. We need to throw him in there. But that's just my personal opinion. That was my predictions for the AEW uh, full gear pay-per-view tonight. You will get 
uh, recap on Monday from me. But let me get you guys out of here. For if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at my two podcasts. On Instagram, my thing is my two cents podcast G two. Uh, for emails, if you want to email me about anything, because again the um the offer still stands about you wanting to email me about anything being you being depressed, suicidal. If you don't have somebody to talk to, or you just don't want to bear uh, burden any of people that or your relatives, or your friends, you can email me because I'm a stranger and I will hold tight on to anything you want to talk about. I can just be a sounding wall for you. But anyway, my email is my2centspod at yahoo.com. I have a YouTube page. It's not video. It's nothing but just audio of the podcast. But my YouTube page is my2centspodcast, uh, all one word. And I am on Wisdom. My name is Gerald Garrett. Uh... I talked this week about privilege, and I want you guys to just give it a listen. Wisdom is just another uh, smaller version of a TED Talk where people can ask questions. People can jump in and just basically say anything to somebody, but it's a respectful uh, space for people to talk about anything that they want to talk about. So give wisdom a listen. Um, I don't think I have anything else to promote. Oh, yeah, tomorrow, Sunday. Uh, I'll be talking about everything in the news. I'll be giving an update on the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial, especially him with his horrendous fake crying. But me, I'll give a personal breakdown on that and how what I felt about it. But I'll be talking about other things too, but I just want to give you a small taste of what I'm talking about. But with that, I do bid you all further ado. I hope you guys do listen to me tomorrow. But if not, it's perfectly fine. You'll catch me again on Monday for the wrestling highlights for uh, Full Gear. And you'll hear from me again for Wrestling Highlights of the Week next Saturday. But with that, this has been Gerald Garrett, G2. And this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. And with that, I will bid you all adieu. Have a great Saturday. And Kanye, please take these people home. I'm tired. You tired. Uh Jesus wept.